Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Fill your summer with technique, learning, and fun at Charlotte Ballet's Summer Intensive. With classes like classical and contemporary ballet, modern, jazz, West African, and musical theater, this well-rounded five-week program is complete with repertory performances and the opportunity to learn new technical skills from renowned resident and guest instructors. Charlotte Ballet's 2023 Summer Intensive will be held at the Center for Dance from June 26th to July 29th, 2023, and you can audition at a city near you. Register for one of Charlotte Ballet's 11 audition locations or submit a video audition at charlotteballet.org. This episode is sponsored by Headliners Dance Championships, the competition for dancers by dancers coming to a city near you. You can register for the 2023 Regionals Tour at reg.headlinersdance.com and our listeners can use our promo code CODPFREE for a free solo entry. Follow their social media pages, including Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at at HeadlinersDance or email info at HeadlinersDance.com for more information. Thank you, Headliners Dance Championships, for sponsoring this episode. Take a look at this episode's description for more details. Welcome to Conversations on Dance. Before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite app to be automatically notified of new episodes when they go live. While you are there, please take a moment to leave us a review. Leaving a review takes just a second and goes a long way in helping us grow the podcast and supports us in this endeavor. We appreciate you joining us today. Now, let's get to the episode. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. On today's episode of Conversations on Dance, we are joined by principal ballerina with the Royal Danish Ballet, Holly Dorger. Holly shares her experience growing up as a Highland dancer, accepting a contract with the Royal Danish straight out of SAB, the change in style and technique that accompanied her new job, and how she continues to grow and adapt in full-length roles she revisits. If you are in the Copenhagen area, you can catch Holly's performance as Odette Odile in Swan Lake this coming March. Holly, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I've missed 
I've missed you since I've been away from Denmark. And I, um, you know, we just had this idea last week and I was like, sometimes I forget when it's some, like someone that I'm like friends with, I'm like, Oh wait, I could just talk to Holly. I can just <laughs> text her and ask. Um, but, uh, thank you for coming on. You've had, you rehearsed today, right? Yes. Yeah. We're currently on Swan Lake. Ooh. Right. So you had a hard rehearsal day. So we're glad that you, you know, dealt with that and the time difference and you're joining us. Yes. No, I'm so excited <laughs> reaching out. I miss you too. And I, I think about all our adventures all the time and all the laughs. I have so much fun. Oh, I'm so jealous. You guys must have had the best time <laughs> when you were in Denmark. But let's go ahead and get started. We want to start with you where we do with all of our guests and tell us how you first got interested in dance. Nah. It's my mom, to be completely honest. She is fantastic. And when I was young, for my birthday parties, she would bring in a different dancer every year. So one year it was a ballet dancer where we like, you know, put on tutus and ran around with ribbons. I think that was when I was about three or four. And then another year it was a Hawaiian dancer. Another year it was a Highland dancer. And actually, it was Highland dancing that really captivated me at first. That's mm -hmm. my first love dance is, is Highland dancing. So I started um, taking Highland dancing lessons because of that. And of course, I did a little bit of ballet on the side, but I wasn't serious about ballet until much later. Mm -hmm. That's so funny. We have a friend um, from Miami City Ballet who did that first. And I feel like there was so much... Um, quickness and the lightness in her dancing because of that. I wonder um, what kind of ways that that helped and in the end, complementing your um, ballet studies. Is it Ashley Knox? Yes, it, it is, is Ashley Knox. Knox. Ashley Knox is the girl that danced at my birthday party. <gasps> Stop it. I, I got into Highland dancing. I adore Ashley. Wait, this is so wild. Wow. She was so, so good. at. I remember we did, what are those shows called, Michael, where we would, um, the dancers would do like a fundraiser at the end of the year. And so the dancers would put on the show and she did Highland dancing and we were just like blown away by how amazing right. it was. So I'm, I can see as a young child being just like amazed by her and her dancing. Yep. She was like my idol. I just completely idolized her. And then she also did that. So I also wanted to do ballet. I wanted to be just like Ashley. Oh, that's so sweet. And now look like you're both principal dancers in amazing companies years later. I love that. But let's let me don't get distracted, Michael. Let's stay on the topic. <laughs> so when when um at what point did ballet start to supersede uh Highland dancing and you were kind of your interest shifted? Yeah. So when I was 10 years old, I won the United States Championship for Highland Dancing. Wow. And then that, you have to be 12 to go to the world um, competition. Mm -hmm. And I think when I was, after I won, I was a bit like, okay, but what, what more can this grow into? Like, it's fun, mm -hmm. but can you make a career out of Highland? And not not really, not in the same way that you can out of ballet. So I think the right. focus did because of like the possibility of a future. And there was more mm -hmm. possibilities. Um yeah. Right. I wonder um how your that those those are really high level competitions that you're talking about. How was did that help you then with your dance career later? 
Yeah, I think it was the beginning of really getting a baseline of pure good old grit. And I have mm-hmm. like had to fall back on that throughout my entire ballet career as well. And I would say Highland dancing, being young, stepping forward, you know, you, you compete as an individual and just um, learning confidence and how to be in front of judges where people are judging you from, you know, the way you look to the way you dance, the way you smiled. It was a good introduction mm-hmm. to really kind of prepare me in a way for what was coming. <laughs> yeah. Right. I also kind of laughed internally when you were talking about uh, a future but you're saying at this point, you're like 11, right? <laughs> so you know, I mean, but dancers, we are like that, right? I think that a lot of people have that level of self-awareness that young. And it is just always funny to hear that you're like, okay, I'm 10. This is the turning point where you have to make the choice, you know. Only got eight years yeah. left. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always was that kid that was outside either running around, climbing a tree, making a flower crown. Like I was always very active. So the fact mm. that then I, mean, it just seemed so natural that that would never go away. I would just continue. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so then when you started ballet, was it something that you immediately um, were drawn to or was it there a difference? And because the art forms are so different, of course, with, you know, similarities. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I liked I mean, I've never been the biggest fan of uh, ballet bar, (laughs) (laughs) but um, yeah, I definitely right away uh, fell in love with ballet and it was, I think I was curious about, you know, there's a structure to it. And then there's also the side of pushing the boundaries and your own personal boundaries and your potential. And so it felt like there was just endless amounts of what ifs and possibilities within ballet that I think is why I I stuck with it. Mm. Michael takes issue with your dislike of ballet bar because Michael's one favorite thing. I'm kidding. Well, okay. I wasn't, I mean, this is kind of shady of me to say, but I was going to say, I'm surprised that you don't like bar because I think a lot of times people that don't like bar are people that aren't very good at it. (laughs) And you have a beautiful bar. You know, I just think like, like, you know, people that feel comfortable. I mean, that makes sense. You like doing things that you are good at, right? So, um, yeah, so that surprised me a little, but <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until I was probably, you know, a professional and almost soloist that I had to really fall, like, learn and fall in love that bar is a good thing, and that mm-hmm. I, I, I had a coach named Heidi, and she reminded me of how much bar is really placement and shaping and like pure technique. And how if that is really excellent, then your center is even better. And that kind of frame it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I always feel like if you sometimes, I mean, a good bar, you don't even need to do center. You've already done your center. That's not really true. But you know what? I I sometimes rather do like an hour long bar than like kill yourself in center, like doing hard, hard things. Uh, it's, It's the Daniel Applebaum school of thought. Don't do anything you have to do too much of or not at all. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, okay. like if you've got a lot, if you're doing a lot of like heavy, if you're doing square dance, you know, chill out on the Petit Allegro and center. Or like you're not doing fuentes in square dance, so don't do them, you know, just keep it, <laughs> keep it focused, keep it tight. 
Um, okay. Anyway, distracted again. But let's let's talk Holly then about. Um, so once you become you're becoming more serious about ballet, what direction you saw? I guess a your training and b a sort of company professional outlook. Yeah. So when I was twelve, that was when I started doing the summer programs, mm-hmm. and I auditioned mm-hmm. for SAP because Ashley went to SAP. <laughs> <laughs> And I and also I had heard wonderful things about the training, mm-hmm. and I and I went to my first summer program at the School of American Ballet, and the balancing style was like a revolution. It was so much fun. Ballet became really, really fun. The quickness, the speed, the like the extreme positions and just how much more you could even do with ballet than just the classical mm-hmm. Russian style. So for me, it was mm-hmm. like a huge eye-opening moment and I was hooked. Mm-hmm. And then I went again the following year. And when I was 14, they asked me to stay year round. Mm-hmm. And then I stayed and I was at the School of American Ballet for four years. So all of high school. And then in 2008, Nicola Huba, my now boss, was still a principal dancer with the New York City Ballet. And he would come in and teach at SAB every once in a while. And by the way, we all thought he was like the most handsome man on the planet. (laughs) We all had crushes on him. (laughs) So yeah, he had apparently talked to Peter Martins about taking a dancer back to Denmark with him to represent the balancing style as he loved balancing and wanted to bring that more to Denmark. Mm-hmm. And it turns out I was the kid that he picked and I was devastated at first. <laughs> I, I thought I had failed my education I didn't know where Denmark was. I didn't want to leave New York. I had never heard of Bourneville. I was completely infatuated with Balanchine and kind of had a stigma of, I only want to do Balanchine. So I was not Mm -hmm. embracing the amazing opportunity that it was at first. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so hard for kids. Like, it's just, it's very natural, normal thing that many, many people go through at SAB who do not then join New York City Ballet. But once you get over that hump, there's so many beautiful things on the other side. Um, Just to go back for a second, 14 is, I believe, the youngest they'll admit you into the dorm. Um, So you're going at the absolute earliest. It's a very tough decision for a family to make to let someone do that. Uh, But what was your view? Uh, Were you ever homesick or was it just like, this is the goal? I'm, I've got my blinders on and I have one thing in mind. I know it created a lot of arguments between my parents. <laughs> my mom was definitely, you got to let her try. We know she's young, but give her, give her a good shot. This is, if she's going to make it, like you got to let her try. Mm-hmm. And my dad, mm-hmm. he was against me going. He just thought I was young and thought, you know, what about mm-hmm. her education? Will she get a good high school education? What if it doesn't work out? Are we ruining her possibilities to, for going to college? So he had a more like um, yeah, educational, like uh, hesitation about it. Mm-hmm. But 
don't get in the way of my mom. She won. <laughs> I wonder, um, just since we've been talking about summer intensive recently, because it is audition season, what were some of the summer intensives that you went to? I'm assuming you went away during your time while you were a year-round student at SAB. Yeah, I went to PNB, mm. San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And I also did ABT Detroit. And I think that was it. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good ones. Yeah. So, so I'm curious. Um, let, let's go back. Let's go forward rather to finding out about your contract with Royal Danish Ballet. Um, did you have any other considerations? Like, was this the first job offer you got? Were you ever considering going to PMB or San Francisco Ballet? Um, you were dealing with the disappointment at that point of not getting into New York City Ballet where you're kind of just like, okay, I guess I'll do this because it's here. What, what was that whole process like? Yeah. So Kay Mezzo pulled me into her office in, I want to say like end of January, maybe early February. So way before workshop and all of that. Mm -hmm. And they, that was when they told me that Nikolai and Peter had spoken and they had made this decision. And they offered me a corps de ballet contract with the Royal Danish Ballet. Wow. And when I told my, my, my parents about it, they were like, well, let's go to Denmark and see, like, what is Denmark? We knew nothing about mm -hmm. Denmark. Mm -hmm. And so we take a trip, I think, probably around Easter time or some, sometime in there to visit Denmark. And it is a fairy tale country. It's cobblestones mm -hmm. and castles and a very good baseline of English, which helped as an 18 year old who was never very strong at any languages. Um, <laughs> and you, you, I started to remove those blinders that I had put on myself at SAB and was starting to see that the ballet world is filled with inspiration and is filled with beautiful companies and beautiful dancers. And just because the, the path I thought I was going to take, and I thought I really wanted, like, I'm not getting that, but maybe this path will be interesting and fun too. Then when did you go ahead and accept then your position? And then, and then what was it like starting your contract? Yeah. So I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I was told because I already had a contract with Royal Danish that I would not be doing any of the lead roles in workshop that year because they wanted the lead roles to go to the kids that were most likely going to get into the New York City Ballet. Mm -hmm. So the don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. That happened. Yeah. That happened to me too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of had a bit of a want wah end of SAB yeah. Yeah. just because I was pulled out of things and it was very frustrating mentally and watching, you know, people go ahead of you that necessarily you didn't see that coming. Not that you were, mm -hmm. you know, but it's just like, oh, this is so different than how I expected things to be. Definitely created some fresh frustrations and truthfully, probably some jealousy. I still wanted mm -hmm. to get into at that point. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. They told me otherwise I could, if I didn't take Denmark, I could audition for like ABT and they encouraged that as well as an option because they, Kay thought that I would be good at story ballets. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but I, I did audition and I got into the studio company and then I had to decide between ABT studio or Royal Danish ballet. And I remember Sean Lavery sat me down in the canteen at SAB and was like, Holly, I really think you should give Denmark a shot. Like it's, it's an amazing country. And he truly, truly believed in Nicola Huba as a leader. Mm-hmm. And he thought he would do a great job and that I would, you know, of course there would be challenges, but I would be embarking on a, on a journey. And so I would give the credit to Sean Lavery of why I actually decided to uh, mm. go overseas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just from a practical standpoint too, it's like at that point, once you have a job at the court of ballet, the Royal Danish Ballet, that's a lot. That's like, that is a lot of capital you've got. You can take that kind of anywhere, you mm-hmm. know, that's yeah. going to stand out versus studio company. You know, that's a lower level position, even if it is with an amazing company. Um, but Obviously, you know, knowing where your story goes, we know you made the right choice, but <laughs> let's talk some about the transition. Uh, you know, like what were your first weeks of rehearsal like? Uh, how were you uh, delving into a new style? Did you have to take, um, were you going to any school classes to try to like play catch up, I guess, you know, if you hadn't had a lot of experience with Bourneville style and classes at that point? Yeah. The very beginning, I remember we did, I think it was Romeo and Juliet, and then it went into a modern piece. Mm-hmm. And, and I hated the modern piece. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I would call my mom like crying, like, why am I here? I don't know what I'm <laughs> doing. I'm ridiculous. I have taken a modern class in my life, and now I'm rolling on the floor and I'm bruised. Like, I was not. I was not having the modern. (laughs) And honestly, even first doing Romeo and Juliet, it was the first like full length, super classical ballet that I kind of seen in a long time because at SAB, I would always go to New York City ballet performances. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I thought it was boring. Mm -hmm. I find it captivating. I thought doing core to ballet work was like, is this it type of feeling? Right. I, I'm looking for the depth or thinking about the story or how every role is contributing to the story, which then is the power of touching the audience. I didn't have that level of like intelligence yet. I was a bit, I was very judgmental in the beginning, I think. And I kind of blocked myself from really embracing the opportunities that I was surrounded by. Mm-hmm. And I would say, look, probably two solid years of being very lonely, very insecure, um, confused if I had made the right decision, confused with Danish, um, and, <laughs> and like, and then once two years started, like came and went, I, I had to do a diff, like a change my mind, do a mind change. Mm-hmm. Like a clip. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're over here in this country. Do you want to dance? Do you want to go to college? Make a decision now. If you're going to dance, are you going to give it a real shot? Like, are you going to mm-hmm. embrace court of ballet, Giselle? Are you going to embrace being the tenth swan on the side? Are you going to like embrace what they're asking you? Mm-hmm. And then I said, in my mind, I was like, yes, let's give it a shot. 
And that changed everything. Mm-hmm. So the mind frame mm-hmm. sure was key. So interesting. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, is there a moment like after you changed your mindset that you feel like you saw yourself being rewarded for that change? Like what was what was the first thing that happened where you, you were like, okay, we are on the right path now after these two years of struggle? Yeah, I would I would work with anybody on any variation, basically at any time of the day, if they would have me. Hmm. And mm-hmm. It kind of, I was always in a studio and uh, Nikolai Huba would work with me. Some of my coaches would work with me. And I think people could see that I was hungry. I was hungry mm-hmm. for ballet. wanted to really learn. And now I was open to it. Mm-hmm. And so I would say the first big one was probably Bluebird. Mm-hmm. I was the on Bluebird. And... I really, really enjoyed Bluebird. Now, I'm considered kind of tall for Bluebird. I'm 5'7", mm-hmm. but um, I don't know. I don't remember who started rehearsing me, Bluebird, but it became really, really fun. And I smiled, and it was a joyful dance. I That was the beginning of, oh, let's give her a show. Let's give her a shot. Mm-hmm. Oh, she did it. Like, then there was a little bit of buzz like who is that young girl like oh and then came marzipan lead marzipan mm-hmm. which you do the balancing version and i love marzipan and i of course have seen the new york city ballet and seen so many beautiful dancers perform it in the way that i think it should be performed like super clean point work yeah just da 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 and so i it came supernatural, um, marzipan. And before I know it, I was doing almost all the shows. And I was the one dancer that was so excited to do marzipan. <laughs> no one else wanted <laughs> That's good. That sounds like Ashley not I mean, as well. I think it's that Highland dance, you know, it's very, yeah. very specific and clean, clear footwork. It makes sense that it would be a natural. I mean, yeah. Marzipan yeah. is often thought of as the hardest of any role in Nutcracker. I remember one time I told Rebecca that I was, I, I don't know if I was like, oh, I thought maybe you would learn Marzipan this year. You'd be good. And she was like, bite your tongue. Never <laughs> speak you. that into existence. <laughs> yeah, it sounds scary. I don't know. <laughs> um, one thing I'm wondering super, though, when you're, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, it's also super musical Marzipan. Like mm-hmm. I just, right. I, I'll go back and do it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In 2020, Boston Ballet School entered a partnership with Walnut Hill School for the Arts, an independent boarding school and day school for high school-aged artists to create a more well-rounded artistic, academic, and residential experience for our pre-professional students. Boston Ballet School's professional division at Walnut Hill offers Boston Ballet School's world-renowned dance instruction in conjunction with Walnut Hill's best-in-class college preparatory academic and rich residential program. Students receive an immersive and intensive educational experience on Walnut Hill's scenic and safe campus in Natick, Massachusetts, a small New England town just outside the cultural hub of Boston. The entire program, from classes to studio to stage, is designed for young artists. The joint program is led by Boston Ballet's artistic director, Miko Nissanen, interim director of dance, Miranda Weiss, and internationally renowned BBS faculty. Together, Walnut Hill School for the Arts and Boston Ballet School oversee student life, academics, admissions, financial aid, scholarships, dance instruction, performances, choreography, music direction, recruitment, and career development. The collaboration truly supports Boston Ballet's commitment to developing future dance artists, in addition to providing students with a first-class academic program and a vibrant residential community. Um, one thing I'm thinking while you're talking about um, how it can be a challenge to be, like you said, the 10th swan on the side, um, those sorts of things. And I think for me personally, I never got out of that mindset of just, you know, being in the core like that. I mean, it can be really, really challenging. And so I wonder how you changed your approach. Like, yes, you, I, I'm hearing that you got in the studio and worked on variations, which kind of feeds that hunger in a different way. But when you are in the core working on those parts that can feel a little bit like, oh, I'm just another Willie. How did you shift that there and then um, kind of start to create a different appreciation for it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's a few different things. Um, I mean, to this day, I still hate standing on one leg for a long period mm -hmm. of time. That never went away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, really watching like Gudran Boyesen, who was a principal dancer, Royal Danish, in, in my early years. And she was so different from the New York City Ballet, but she was so beautiful. So it was seeing another style of ballet and having different strengths. Like she, she could really touch you and she had this beautiful port of bras and you believed her, like you believed she was heartbroken. And so I think I learned by watching and not judging so much of like, yeah, well, she didn't hold the balance as long as like, you know, it was more take away kind of the parts that you trained so hard for at school, but it's not at the end of the day, the most important part. And really see like the soul of the dancer. And so as I was standing there on the side, I was no, I couldn't, I literally couldn't see her feet, but I was more watching her. And I used, I think I used as a lot of inspiration of, huh, maybe there's more than just good technique or going for that triple turn or, but it was a learning curve for sure. Cause I before definitely would 
amazed by dancers that were pure technicians. Still am. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm kind of curious to hear about um, the tr- the shift that's happened under the company in the company under Nikolai, because you're joining the first year of his directorship. So you have a clear view of the old guard as well as as Nikolai is making changes to fit his own artistic vision. So um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how the company has shifted from your first year, 2008 to now and what that process, how that process has affected you artistically. Yeah. When Nick first came, he brought a lot of Balanchine ballets, like Symphony in C, Apollo, Agon, um, Serenade. So there was a, a huge like wave of Balanchine, which I think for me was heaven. And I mm-hmm. oh, like a fish in water. This feels great. But for the <laughs> general, I think it was a little bit of um, a shock. They loved, loved many of them, but mm-hmm. the style, is very different than the Bourneville style. Um, mm-hmm. It's much faster. There's more, I would say, musical um, difficulties. Like, you know, Agon has crazy counts and things like that. Whereas Napoli, it's it's pretty, you know, eights and a four. Like, it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty solid. Um, so I think there was a bit of, of um, like, retraction of like, whoa, what is this that's coming at us? full full force and i would say mm-hmm. even for the audience as well balancing ballets over here at first didn't sell that well mm-hmm. the audience right. wanted the full length romeo and juliet they wanted the full length swan lake that's what they knew and so he kind of mm-hmm. he completely has brought so many new um ballets and types of ballet to denmark which even if there was a bit of resistance at first, now the ballet scene in Denmark is one of like a global scene in that our repertoire would match any company, all companies that are, you know, have the budget and all that to to do these amazing work. So he really kind of revolutionized the ballet in Denmark, which is cool. Go, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) So from your beginnings in bluebird and then you know sort of gaining momentum and gaining um i guess like the respect and admiration of staff and colleagues like what were some of the next paths what were some of the next steps forward rather on your path um like what was leading to your first promotion to soloist yeah oh first promotion to soloist was definitely yeah roles like bluebird marzipan gamzadi from the Bayadere. Mm-hmm. I think those were like the big ones. And then I got promoted to soloist. And then after that, it was uh, my first full length was Swan Lake, which, wow. <laughs> let's, talk, I wanna, let's talk about that because I always wonder, I mean, you know, coming from a background of, you know, like you're talking about seeing mixed rep bills and like just different kind of evenings of dance. What was that like to tackle that monster and just so much dancing and character development? What was that like for you? There was the side of, wow, I'm so excited, like a full length ballet. This is crazy. Like, really, is it me? Do I get to try? And then there was mm-hmm. the other side of, I'm not a swan. I've never like, 
watched Swan Lake in the way that some dancers, you know, it's their holy grail. I never really dreamed of being the Swan Queen. I I dreamed of um, Bello de la Regina and uh, who cares? I was like, yeah. I felt a little fake. Um, and I feel with Swan Lake in particular, at least in my experience, everyone has an opinion and everyone is like, right. I've seen blah, 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 do it. And she's the swan or I've seen her do it. Right. And she's the swan. And so it also felt really intimidating to even try. And coming from the Balanchine, I, I was a bit like, I'm never going to be a Russian swan. Like my legs are never going to be right. Right behind my neck. Like I'm going to not be a swan. I was kind of terrified <laughs> to this day. Like if I'm completely honest, I still feel a little bit like a duckling and not a swan when I do it. I feel like fooling you. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, yeah, it's that's probably well. Now you can say you've done many other full lengths. Is this still the most challenging? Yeah. Yes and no. It's mm -hmm. like when you break it down, it really is ballet. Like all the partnering mm -hmm. things are classical you learned them in partnering class there's nothing weird there's no strange lift that hurts your rib like mm -hmm. it kind of makes so in that regard it's not the hardest it is the hardest i feel stamina wise like you just don't stop mm -hmm. right but what makes one like like the hardest is the pressure and it's probably self-pressure that I feel and then like ballet culture pressure <laughs> that I feel. Mm -hmm. I feel like you need to, you feel like you have to be amazing <laughs> and it's hard. <laughs> right. No, I'm well, sure. One thing, one thing that for you is lucky is that the technical feats of these ballets is just really in your back pocket. Like it's just something that you naturally whip out. Like I was just thinking going back to Gamzadi being a big break for you. Gamzadi has that moment that's to me just like <laughs> thinks if I think of like if ballet had sport we're like sports fans it's like oh no she didn't she just <laughs> went from fuetes to Italian fuetes or maybe it's the other way around but I always feel like I mean you have to do is it 16 Italian fuetes and then 16 fuetes back to back yeah yeah it is yeah right so but it's just like oh, she, she did what she's doing <laughs> what she you know it's kind of a funny moment but it's like that is a hugely difficult technical achievement um what but are not the challenge step i love what i love turns right. so for me that's like ooh, let's play now i almost relax right. like uh -huh. thank god <laughs> got to the play. <laughs> that's so good <laughs> very rare <laughs> <laughs> i wonder right. um what other full lengths that you've worked on that you also have found to be challenging and then maybe one that you feel like really at home uh, dancing? Um, I found Giselle very challenging, uh, but I completely fell in love with it. I, it's my favorite classical full length. Mm -hmm. I just find it so touching, but I am not a fan of ponches and I'm not a fan of really slow ponches. <laughs> Agio <laughs> in general without a partner that's that's not really my cup of tea I'd rather be doing PK mm -hmm. turns or jumps so I was really scared of falling over 
um, for Giselle. So that was, especially the second act, that was very um, intimidating and then very challenging. Mm-hmm. Turns out I would do that ballet any day. I just, the emotional side and the personal, how personal it can be. I just love, I love, I love Giselle. Hmm. What is kind of um, some of the process that you go through to work on this acting? Again, like you're saying, so much of your focus was um, your technique when you were in school. I mean, as it is for everyone, right? How did you start to develop that um, artistic um, actor side of yourself? Yeah, I was introduced to some really wonderful coaches like uh, Sorella England, Mm -hmm. Nicola um, Lynn Charles, um, Julio Boca, uh, these people, each one different, but each one at the end of the day telling me that it was okay to be me and like it's okay to put yourself out there and show what you, what you feel or use your real life experience and lay it on the stage and don't be afraid. Um, that I think really helped, uh, yeah, dare to kind of, um, be more open and be more emotional. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting side of things that I don't, I don't know. I I don't hear much about in other companies, but Nikolai or the company has a sort of policy of bringing in outside teachers and coaches quite frequently, um, which seems like a a win across the board for everyone. Yeah, I always find it really interesting because they all have their own methods and some might work better for some people over others. But I've been really fortunate. Like most recently, I worked with Lynn Charles for Giselle and uh, I was going through a divorce at the same time. So I think the combination of having a safe space with a coach that I could feel really supported me and wanted the best for me. And then having all my own emotional, um, like fragility, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. made it this really special, rare combination where I was using the ballet as much as the ballet was using me. Like it was Mm -hmm. therapy. Mm -hmm. Made it the healing. That's interesting because I think as an audience member, you might think for, um, ballerinas who've been dancing a ballet for years like a Giselle or a Swan Lake that maybe they just rehearse it a few times, go out and do it because it's something they've done before. But I think it's really interesting to hear you talking about continuing to have coaching, continuing to grow in it. So how do you kind of keep pulling back layers each time you revisit a part? Well, every time the that ballet comes around again or like Swan Lake, this will be my fourth time doing Swan Queen which is crazy. I would have never guessed that that would. <laughs> but every time it comes around again, you're in a different place in your life. You've experienced different things. You've made stronger friendships, maybe lost some friendships, um, fell in love or lost love. Like You're always a different version of yourself. And so I feel like there's always a new depth to bring to the role. And it's I think the interesting part is to kind of like kind of dare to do it, but really take the time to go into that depth and what is this and what is that emotion? Right. Yeah. 
that way it's a continuous journey and not just, oh, I'm doing this variation again. I hate this variation. Like it's right. like, <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, it seems like if I were to write a book about Holly, it's like I, there we have a beautiful, happy ending. Like you've, you've reached the pinnacle of success in your career you've fully integrated to Danish life and you love your company, like being getting to work with you. It's just very clear, like how comfortable um, and joyous you are in your life, your day-to-day life. So what would be the next step? Like, I mean, is it, is it, are is it easy to get too comfortable? I mean, <laughs> what, how do you continue to push yourself and like, what, what goals do you have? You know, now that you're a principal dancer that's amassed all this rep that anyone could ever want, like, how do you continue to push yourself forward in the next five years, let's say? Yeah. Uh, Well, you're right in that I definitely, I'm 33 now. And with that, there's, there's some, like, years of experience. There's no longer as many insecurities as when I was younger. There's more confidence. and really happiness like you nailed it i'm i'm a very in general every day i'm pretty happy i <laughs> i love i love life i'm very grateful for the life that i have i'm very grateful that the path that it took to get to this life uh i've learned a lot and trust me there has been plenty of shit storms to get here but i think because of those storms i'm even more um not untouchable, but just like, I'm just so yeah grateful. Um, but for the next five years, um, it's that curiosity of, um, yeah, what's around the corner or what, what could this lead to, or how can I push myself, um, even technically and make it more challenging? Like for Don Q, I really wanted, I'd never done Don Q before. But of course, it has the 32 fuetes in third act. and Like I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm, but I didn't want it to just be 32 fuetes. I was like, okay, how can I challenge myself? And so we made it so every third one was a double. And then every third one after that was a double attitude front with the fan. And, you know, that was a risk moment. Um, but I loved it. And it was thrilling and myself and it yeah, so I guess keep pushing my own boundaries and yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Holly, for your time and chatting with us today. It was so lovely to hear about your trajectory and it was so lovely to chat with you. Uh, thank you so much for having Everyone in Denmark, go see Holly dance. <laughs> I'm sure they, I'm sure the entire population of the country already has, but go back <laughs> and the second Holly makes it stateside performing, we will be sure to let our listeners mm-hmm. know. Because yeah, I'm hoping maybe we all need summer. I'm hoping maybe I can dance in um, Colorado. We'll see though. Okay. Okay. Fingers crossed. Fingers thing. crossed. All right. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Holly. Thank you. 